Good morning. Thanks for being with us again. We're so glad that you can join us as we complete um, our sermon series called Subversive Unity. I'll be reading from John 17, verse 20 to 24. You can read with me as I read along. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. That's the reading of the word. Um, we've just come off or coming off this uh, election season and much of the results from this election, as you may have heard, has uh, shown that we are a nation that is terribly divided. And the sad or unfortunate part of this is that it's not just the nation that is divided, but also the church at large in this country is divided. Many have dug deep into their trenches to shore up their own stance and particular beliefs without giving room to listen or to hear each other out. But you know what's interesting? That even though that, the, the division exists on a macro level or on a larger scale, we can actually go deep even to our own relationships. We can even go deep to our own um, marriages and our own um, friendships and find that there are divisions there as well. And as even now, as we prepare for the holiday, um, we may be bracing ourselves for the fights and the quarrels that might come at the dinner table. I know this year we may not be able to see our families, but maybe you're going to be on a Zoom call or in a Zoom meeting and the issue of politics or whatever thing may come up and it just shows the cracks and the fractures and the divisions that are in our friendship, relationships, and our families. In the text that we just read, Jesus prays to God that we, the church, will be united that just as Christ and the Father are one, that we, we ourselves as the church, as the body of Christ, we be one as well. That we are to be so connected to each other, just like Christ and the Father are connected. And the fascinating thing about this is that this unity within the body of Christ is a sign to the world. It's a sign to our friends and to our neighbors that God loves his creation. He said this in the text, it's like, the, then, so, he says, so that they may be brought to complete unity, that then the world will know that you sent me and have loved 
them even as you've loved me. That our unity is supposed to be a sign to the world. It, it's supposed to be a, a, an evangelistic sign to the world to know that God loves um, his creation, that God cares for his creation. So the importance of this unity is not only just for us, it's not just for the, 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 the love that we're supposed to have for one another, but it's also supposed to be a sign to the world, a sign that God cares for the world. So today I want to show you that this type of unity is only possible with Christ as, um, as the head of our, our lives as our ultimate resource in our lives. And I want to show you that while the picture of unity is messy, he has given us the power for unity. He has given us the power to walk through the path um, towards unity. And that's my three points today. The picture of unity, the power for unity, and the path to unity. Um, earlier in the text, the, before the one we just read, Jesus prays specifically for his disciples. He prayed that they themselves be united, that they themselves, the 12 of them, the 11 of them, will be one. And just before this moment, just before this time of prayer, Jesus was actually with them at the Last Supper in a room as they were sharing and reflecting with each other as they were eating and, uh, and dining together. And in this picture of unity, you see actually some of the fractures that exist within, uh, uh, that, uh, within uh, the group of people. Right? You have Peter, who's known to be stubborn. And in the next chapter, we see him actually draw out his knife in order to defend Jesus. We see um, Simon the Zealot, who himself thinks that the, the Roman Empire needs to be overthrown by force. You see James and John, who, known as the sons of uh, thunder, who uh, were interested in calling the wrath of heaven on, on folks that did not believe the same way they believed. And of course, you have Judas, the betrayer, and they're all in that table. And they're there because Jesus himself had brought them together. Unity is messy. I remember being a part of a church a long time ago, and I was part of this church. And uh, while I was there in the beginning, I was just, I felt so out of place. I felt like I did not belong. Um, some, some, sometimes they would uh, crack some jokes and I could not even laugh because I did not think it was funny. <laughs> and I just did not fit in for whatever reason. And I was so close to leaving that church because I just didn't fit into that church. But for one reason or the other, I, fe I felt like God was calling me there. God was calling me to be part of that church. And while I felt different, while I felt I did not fit in, I knew that I was supposed to be there. And the only reason I could stay there was because of Jesus Christ himself. 
The church body is messy. Even our relationships can be messy. It is not as smooth or pristine as we want it to be. There may be political divides, cultural divides, class divides, ethnic divides that often separate us from one another. But despite those differences, Christ, as the head of the church, brings us together. And at that table, at the Last Supper, Christ is at the head of that table. And what does he do? How does he bring them? He brings them to the communion table. He shows them the bread representing his, his body. And he showed them the wine, the cup, represented his blood that he's pouring out for his people. And in this communion table brings us all together. This sacrament of the communion, the centerpiece of our faith, brings us together in Christ Jesus. And while it's messy, we have a Messiah. Um, uh, our, our messiness, rather, is, is no match for our Messiah, Jesus Christ. That despite our differences with Christ as the head of our church, he is able to bring us together through his body and through his blood. So yes, the picture of unity is messy. So it shouldn't be any surprise to us that we find Jesus at this moment in our text in prayer for the church to be united to each other. Because he realized something, that the power of unity comes in our prayer to God. That we cannot be united on our own. We need the power from God to help us to be united. Without prayer, unity really is virtually possible. Without seeking God, it's impossible. Because unity that is not a prayed, um, prayed unity really is not a lasting unity. That's why we continue to pray. That's why we continue to, to meet virtually on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. to pray because we need God to infuse us with his power to guide us and to help us to remain united. We need the power of God to bridge the chasm that so often um, divides us. Because his power really is able to transcend all of our differences, all of our divides. And you know, it's, it's normal for us to have things that divide us. It's part of the human experience. If you just got married or if you just started dating someone, just wait a little while and those, those cracks will come up. Those differences will show up. But the reality is when we rest on God, when we rest in God, he gives us the power to live united. We cannot rely on, on our own strength to succeed in our relationships. 
We cannot rely on our own um, intellectual capacities or our, our, our ability to win arguments to navigate just the, the complexities of human relationships. We need the power of God. Why? To shape us, to mold us as people of love and grace. Because really our tendency so often when we are offended is to, 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 to be filled with hatred and anger or to dehumanize or demonize the other. And when we read texts that, like, for example, Matthew 5, verse 43, that says, love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Honestly, that does not compute for a lot of us. We can often justify our own um, sins, our own wrongs, by blaming the other. But we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people that understand God's values, to be infused with his values so that we can actually live out our lives and our relationships in love for one another. And prayer, coming to God in utter reliance, is of most importance for our lives, for our relationships, for our families. We need to be a people of prayer. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He prayed to God the Father that we may be united, that we may be one. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, a Christian community either lives by the intercessory prayers of its members for one another, or the community will be destroyed. I can no longer condemn or hate other Christians for whom I pray for, no matter how much trouble they cause me. An intercessory prayer, the face that may have, that may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed into the face of the one for whom Christ died the face of a pardoned sinner. When we become people of prayer, when we pray for, 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 for unity, for oneness, when we come to God, he gives us the power to, 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 to love, to see the other as Christ sees them, to know that even though they've been wronged us, that by his supernatural power, God gives us the love um, for, for them as well. And this leads me to the next part. Because we see that Christ, having died, gives us, not only gives us the power for unity, he gives us the path. He shows us the path towards unity. Unity. You know, right after he prayed in John 17, the soldiers came and arrived to arrest him. And this was the beginning of this painful road toward the cross. And the gruesomeness of this cross should cue us 
to the path um, towards unity, should cues us to what unity actually um, takes. It is painful. It's filled with sacrifice. It's a path that says, let your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And that's a hard part. That's, the, this, that's a hard road. And this is exactly what Christ does for us. He went to the cross so that we can be dead to our sins and finally united to God and also to each other. He went to the cross so that we can actually know that we are sinners, know that we often make mistakes, and at the same time, we can know that he loves us through his grace. I love what um, Friedrich Buechner says, how he puts it this way. He says, the gospel is bad news before it is good news. It is the news that man is a sinner, that he that he is evil in the, in the imagination of his heart. And when he looks in the mirror, all in the lather, what he sees is at least eight parts chicken, phony, slob. That is the tragedy. But it's also the news that he is loved anyway, cherished, forgiven, Bleeding to be sure, but also bled for. That is the comedy. That is the irony. That while we are uh, sinners, he still loves us. While we might have hatred and anger towards those who may have offended us, Christ still loves us. Though we may harbor bitterness, though we might get defensive in an argument, Christ still loves us. Christ loves us. And even in our sins, his love transforms us. His love can transform us. His love can change us. And he can move us, lead us away from sin into his holiness, into his glory, into unity with him and unity in the body of Christ. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize what unity is looks like because sometimes we make it sound like you know once you pray once you receive Christ's love all of a sudden everything's kumbaya let's sing and sing around the fire I don't know you know we, we can often make it like yeah it's that easy it's a quick easy fix but Christ's death for us when we pray, actually, when we say, God, help us to be united. God, help me in my relationship. We're actually praying this. God, empower me 
to live in sacrificial love for my brother, for my sister, for my wife, for my spouse. We're not praying like, God, just make me better so I can love and, you know, we can all be happy. No, he's saying, we're praying, God, help me so I can actually bend the knee for the other. Help me so I can actually bear my own cross. He empowers us to walk the hard path towards unity, to live in sacrificial love for one, an, one another. And that's, that's, that's what he did for us. He walked that difficult path that led him to the cross, that led him to his death. He did what we cannot do for ourselves and now gives us the power to live that out. So while the picture of unity is a messy one, it's not pretty, it's not pristine. Yet, we have the power for it as we turn to our eternal Father in prayer, in intercession. He empowers us to walk this hard path towards unity with sacrificial love and grace towards each other. So may we have that power, may we have the love and receive the love he has for us so that we can actually, truly, truly live the unity in our relationships, in our families, in our homes, and everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together as we respond in worship.